Hey guys, it's Abdul for the good folks over at Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. Might I remind you folks, uh, although Leon Tailoring is great for the tailor and ready-made clothes, they also have a good career services division for your young person, because before you know it, they'll be out heading off for interviews, for jobs, or for internships this summer, and you want to make sure your young person looks their best. You guys have invested a lot of time and energy and money in that college education, now it's time for it to start paying off, and Leon Tailoring can help you do it. They'll make sure your young person is dressed right for the right job, so they can make that right first impression. You know, I'm important that is. So swing on by Leon Tailoring, check out their career services division. Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. Well, the issues of addiction and mental health are back in the news again. And so we're talking today to Don Schroeder. Don is the CEO of Recovery Centers of America. So Don, my friend, thank you very much for being with us. Always good to chat with you. Thank you. I appreciate uh, bringing me on the show this morning and uh, look forward to talking with you about it. Thank you. Uh, so what is the status of mental health and addiction here uh, in central Indiana? So in central Indiana, just like everywhere else in the United States right now, uh, COVID has really impacted uh, behavioral health and substance abuse uh, negatively uh, over the last three years. So there's been a dramatic increase during COVID, there was a 25% increase in day drinking. Um, substance abuse is on, significantly on the rise, and unfortunately, overdoses are really on the rise at this point in time in the United States. Uh, not five years ago, overdoses were about half of what um, they are now. So this last year, we had about 107,000 overdoses. So what is it, what is responsible for this? Was it just uh, was it was it COVID? Was it just isolation? People just trying to cope with with a new different world that we live in, or anxiety? What was going on? So it, it was kind of the perfect storm. So you had the opioid uh, addiction that was going on uh, that was spurred on by the mid-90s. And then at the same time, you had people being removed from kind of society and interaction with the rest of the world. So you, with the isolation, um, removal of their normal supports, and also the increase in opioids and access to opioids, uh, it really impacted negatively uh, the mental health and, and substance abuse uh, in the United States. Uh, it's interesting uh, because before if someone had an, an addiction related issue or, or drug related issue or mental health issue, we just kind of uh, just need to toughen up. You'll be you'll be fine. What's changed? Yeah, it's changed dramatically. <laughs> so in the past, it's been characterological, right? So people looked at uh, individuals who had substance abuse disorders and said they were weak or weak minded. Unfortunately, with the with the epidemic of opioid use. Um, People from all walks of life are now being affected by substance use disorder. So it's not a characterological issue. It's a matter of um, issues from childhood, if issues from adolescence, issues from family-related issues. And also um, what we saw with the opioid epidemic is individuals who were elderly going in and after breaking a hip, after breaking a leg, um, were placed on opioids and then develop an addiction out of that too. So what we see is a cross-section of the United States from uh, no matter what the SES, social economic status is of that individual um, being impacted by uh, substance abuse. And I want and I want to say the particular with the substance abuse issue, you may not necessarily be able to tell right away. Absolutely. Yeah, and there are some definitely some warning signs, especially in adolescence, uh, a lot of withdrawal um, in terms of social withdrawal. Uh, for, for elderly elderly folks, it's a matter of going to their physician more frequently and actually requesting uh, opioids uh, in order to help with their pain. Now, here's one thing I could never understand about, particularly with the, with the opioid situation, is obviously if you're a physician prescribing medication, obviously there, there'll be side effects that you always want to let the patient know that there are side effects with. But the one thing I couldn't quite figure out is if... If my, say, my grandmother who passed away 30 years ago kept going to the doctor for more and more pain pills, I'd be like, okay, let's, let's take a step back and see what's, what's going on here. 
And you, you think that that's what physicians would be doing. What what happened? Why did or why didn't that happen? That's a, that's a very good point. Um, why didn't it happen? We're not sure, but the physicians continued to, to prescribe the opioids. So what happened was the drug companies came out and basically said that opioids were not addictive. So the OxyContin, um, Larset Plus, some of the other drugs of of the time in the early '90s said that the medication was not addictive, and so they were they were prescribing and kept prescribing and over prescribing uh, the pain medication due to the patient's response that um, pain was continuing and, and was continuing to worsen. And see, cause I, I have a hard time figuring out to say that. I hope you could argue that it's not addictive when, if a, if a person keeps coming back time and time and time again, the same person, like, okay, and, and order lots and lots of medications, like, okay, well, we need to stop and see what's, what's going on here. Absolutely. And that's finally, physicians started uh, wising up. And as we started to see the increase, especially the mid to late 2000s of, su- of over- overdoses, um, w- the physicians started pulling back on, on basically prescribing the opioids. And what we've seen over the last 10 to 15 years is a continued reduction in, in those prescriptions and alternatives to pain management. Our guest on the program today is Mr. Don Schroeder. Don is the CEO of Recovery Centers of America. They uh, treat uh, addiction and mental health up here in central Indiana. So we're having a good conversation today. Uh, in the wake of, uh, and like I said, we'll get to the mental health section uh, a little bit later, uh, but with the uh, advent, I would say the, the, the onslaught, I guess, that's, or whatever metaphor you want to use, of legalized marijuana up here, not, not here in Indiana, but 37 states have it legalized either for medicinal or recreational purposes. How does that tie? Into the addiction issue, or do you guys have a position on that? So at at this point, we don't we don't have a position on that. What we're looking at is the continued um, outcomes of of, de- of the data from the research that the uh, that the marijuana studies are going through right now. So we're still trying to d- determine what the outcome is going to be long term wise uh, in terms of uh, affecting patients, uh, affecting the general population. Uh, because I know uh, for for some uh, recovery centers. They're like this. It's not that they have a problem with marijuana per se. They're like, hey, we don't need another addictive, another quote unquote addictive substance. I'm using air quotes here with my fingers. Out there, when you got alcohol, opioids, you don't need another drug to complicate matters. And it can be a challenge. So we have individuals who do come to us and have come to us for uh, THC, which is the active ingredient in marijuana, so for THC recovery. Um, but at the same time, the there's really not a lot of data on the outcomes of what's truly going to happen or how that's going to impact mental health services or mental health of the individual. That is one of the things that we're really waiting to see is what does the marijuana or THC long-term effects on behavioral health issues in in individuals. It's funny you bring all this up because uh, I remember a while back uh, having a conversation with someone who said when it was a when it was a quote unquote drug problem in, the, in urban quote unquote in urban areas, it was a public safety issue. When it moved to suburbia, now it's a public health related issue. It's a challenge. Yeah. It, it really is, and, and it changes over time. And there's definitely some research that definitely shows. If you take a look at some anthropology, uh, psychology research out there that shows that over time, there's different uh, issues for different time periods uh, based on the current culture. Yeah, because I remember uh, being a teenager back in the 1980s. The Nancy Reagan just say no. Absolutely, absolutely. That, that we all tend to look like really seriously. That's that's your anti-drug. Yeah, and the challenge we're facing right now is the um, percentage of THC in the actual marijuana itself. In the you know mid to late seventies, you're talking a, a significantly different amount of THC going in the body less. So right now, uh, the, there are significant amounts of THC in the marijuana that is being smoked. As so you can say, it's not your it's not your grandfather's marijuana anymore. It is definitely not. 
It's it's not grass in a in a, in a Ziploc bag. It's it's it strains. It's to, to, to do basically whatever type of mood you want to get, be in. Absolutely, and and they're hybridizing the strains, so it definitely um, will affect mood in different ways. And that's what we're really looking at for the outcome research to see: does it increase psychosis? Does it have a negative impact on uh, behavior? Our guest in the program today is Mr. Don Schroeder. Don is the CEO of Recovery Centers of America. They deal with addiction and mental health issues. So we're having a good conversation, conversation today about addiction and mental health. Uh, Don, uh, when it comes to mental health, uh, have we broken the stigma yet? We have not. So the stigma is still strong. So the individuals will not seek services because of the stigma, and that becomes a big challenge. So it's our responsibility as a community to really go out there and break the stigma for both substance abuse and mental health services, because a lot of people will not seek out services they need um, or have access to services they need uh, in order to get the help they they, they truly need. Uh, one thing we're hearing uh, as mental health issues in younger younger people. And how can you tell when your young person is having a, a mental health issue versus they're just being an obnoxious teenager? It's a big challenge. So the, the the difference is over time, how impaired does their behavior start to impact their life? So is it affecting school? Is it affecting grades? Is it affecting relationships in the home? Is it affecting whether or not the child's even coming home at all? Uh, so there are some, some significant difference between a child who's just acting out versus a child who is actually starting to experience uh, mental health issues. Uh, Obviously, Bob. Some sometimes the first signs show up actually in, in a school setting. Our schools, uh, not just Indiana but across the country, prepare, ready to deal with these mental health related issues yet. They're they're trying to at this point in time. So there are counselors in school. There are services in the school. Uh, a lot of community mental health centers are actually offering community-based services where the therapist, counselor, or the team actually comes to, to the individual in the school to provide those services. But it can be very overwhelming. If What we've seen with kids coming back to school with uh, after COVID, uh, significant behavior issues and significant mental health issues uh, for, for those individuals. And if you take a look at the the PRTFs, so the Psychiatric Residential Treatment Facilities for Adolescents across the country, there's a huge waiting list just because there's so many kids in need right now of, of behavioral health services. One of the big things we're seeing here in Indiana has been uh, our jail situation, our jail population. And I remember having conversations with a former sheriff in Marion County saying that jails now have become the biggest mental health facilities you know, almost anywhere. It's sad. It really is sad because it's and it's true. It's one hundred percent accurate. And the jail, the county jail systems across the United States are not prepared for this. Uh, they have significant number of individuals with mental health issues, um, and they are not prepared. And they do not have the counseling services required in the in the jails, and also the substance abuse services that are really needed. So when I've talked to a couple of the, the local sheriffs, that's one of the biggest issues they see is they get all these individuals coming in for substance abuse and behavioral health, and they not really sure what to do so the the goal is to is really diversion instead of going to jail let's get these individuals in treatment so we can have better outcomes for the for the communities that they come from one of the uh, big conversations uh, in a lot of places across the country these days has been when, when the police respond they're not trained to deal with mental health related issues that's just not what's in their in their training are, are you seeing changes in that or are they are they bringing along more mental health experts when something's going on or what's going, what's happening in that area absolutely yeah no and it's a very good point so right now the police departments across the country with community policing um actions going on are, are including uh social workers uh, in in their patrols. So when they have an incident with a behavioral health, they'll actually bring the social worker to the person with them. So that, that, that should have a tremendous impact because one, the social worker is going to know how to get the individual help and at the same time be able to have an intervening voice uh, when they're dealing with 
with substance abuse or uh, with mental health issues because the police officers may not know how to do that. Because I recall reading in the Washington Post, uh, I want to say last month or so, uh, they do like a they do statistical data on, on police shootings of unarmed individuals. They do by race, by in, by race, uh, state, a locality. But, but the biggest category that I saw was unarmed shootings. Uh, it usually involves someone with a mental health related issue. It's a challenge. It really is, and it's a challenge for the community police. So they're going out there. They're trying to uh, make the community safe. And you have individuals that, no matter what kind of intervention techniques you use, may not be responsive to those. So it really takes a trained person uh, to understand what's going on and actually provide an intervention that's not lethal. Uh, what, what's the impact of all this on families? It's a, it's a big impact. And so if we take a look at the disease of substance, substance use disorder, it truly is a family. It affects everybody in the family. So uh, individuals that are living with, individuals they've come in contact, a lot of families get frustrated. A lot of families throw their arms up in the air. So by, some, by the time somebody's a young adult, they're not having the interaction they used to have with their family, um, which is one of the things that we really try to do when an individual comes in for treatment is we really engage the family. We want the family there. We provide family opportunities to learn, and at the same time, family therapy. Unless uh, our guest in the program today uh, for a few minutes is Don Schroeder. He's the president and CEO of Recovery Centers of America. Uh, walk us through how does the treatment process work for someone with a uh, mental illness or, or addiction-related issue? Oh, absolutely. So, individual calls, and basically, they get connected to our services. We have same day. So, if I call this morning for services, we can have the individual placed uh, within the hour. So, they come in, they go full through a full nursing assessment, they go through a full mental health assessment, and what we're seeing right now is about 85% of our patients here uh, locally in Indianapolis have co-occurring, or what they call co-occurring disorder. So, that's having a substance abuse disorder and, at the same time, a mental health disorder that needs to be treated. So we have psychiatrists on staff that assess every 100% of our patients coming in, physicians on staff, nurse practitioners on staff, in addition to licensed counselors, and then uh, our techs, our, our RSS techs, um, are trained to really provide interventions also. So individual coming in goes through all these assessments, and then they are placed on, on a unit, and then they start participating in groups immediately. Um, is it usually the individual who calls, or is it a family member who calls, or, or is it, or is it just all over? It it, it it can be all over, but you're absolutely correct. It's it's family. So what we see is 90 percent of the people calling in are saying, "Hey, I need services for my son, my husband, my spouse, who name it. I I need I need help for this person." So we see a lot of families who actually reach out, and then the patient will come in. Uh, when you when you work with families and the patient as well. Do you let the do you do you sort of tell the family, hey, you may want to just do sort of an inventory of any sort of addictive substances you may have in the house, like whether it's alcohol, you know, pills, you know, your your medicine, whatever's in your medicine cabinet. Absolutely. So yeah, we work with families to to really take a take an inventory, a housing inventory, especially if the patient is coming back to that to that environment to live. We want to make sure that that environment is clean. At the same time, to be able to provide the family resources, and that's one of the biggest issues navigating the mental health and substance abuse. Uh, kind of environment or services can be a challenge so we really want to educate where are all the resources in the community where can we get this individual what does the family need in order to be successful how well does rehab or recovery work because i remember reading, reading a statistic that said it usually takes about three five or six times for an individual to go from a 
major addiction to you know clean sober so to speak absolutely so the the biggest challenge faced is co-occurring disorders so it's no no just let's so explain for our audience what those are yeah so those are when an individual has a substance use disorder but also has depression anxiety another mental health disorder schizophrenia any kind of formal thought disorder so basically you have both you you have both mental health and substance use right now there's about nine and a half million people in the United States that need co-occurring disorder treatment and only about 14 percent of those are actually receiving that treatment so it's about having access to care to that treatment which is something that we really pride ourselves on because they have full access to psychiatrists counselors licensed uh, professionals basically being able to to impact that so that's the biggest key so when in terms of recidivism if you don't treat both disorders at the same time your recidivism rates or return to substances is going to be significantly higher so there was a time in the united states where the the treatment was you had to get your substance abuse fixed first then you got your mental health issues fixed first and vice versa now it's let's come together let's get both for, fixed let's get both addressed so you have a better chance of, of being successful in recovery uh, a couple of questions for let's go here uh, how many individuals are there have you guys estimated with mental health slash addiction issues here in central indiana and how many actually what percentage actually get treatment do you think so the the, the access um to the number of individuals is about anywhere from one to three percent of the population they give any given time and then um so you're looking at anywhere between 700 and 1500 people a month are looking for uh, substance abuse services in the state of indiana um, not to mention those individuals who are already in engaged in that um, and then co-occurring, co-occurring um, is significant. Uh, like I said, right now, our patient population, 85% of our patients are co-occurring. They have a both mental health and a uh, substance abuse disorder. So that's the biggest uh, challenge we, f- we face is making sure that we're treating both. Um, in the state of Indiana, you're looking at another 1% to 2% uh, of that population. Uh, final question for you. If someone is... Uh thinks they have a mental health issue or addiction issue or, or family member notices something, how can they get a hold of you folks? What can they do? Absolutely. So they can pick up the phone and call uh, 1-888-RECOVERY, and they will get a live person on the end of that phone, and that live person will navigate them through through the process and at the same time make sure that they will get the treatment that they need. All right. Well, our guest in the program today has been Mr. Don Shorter. Don is the President and CEO of Recovery Center of America. Don, my friend, thank you very much for being with us. Always good to talk to you. Nothing but the best of luck with what you folks do. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you bringing on and uh, enjoyed talking about it. This podcast was produced and edited by Chris Spangle and Leaders and Legends, LLC. If you're interested in starting a podcast or taking yours to the next level, please contact us at leadersandlegends.net.